You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. It's time for Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And we have Phil Forsberg on. And uh, Phil is going to help us remember and make sure that uh, we don't ever forget the veterans and the folks that have kept us safe for years. And part of those folks were the Desert Shield, Desert Storm people. And uh, Phil, are you doing okay today? Doing great. Merry Christmas. And to you, sir. Uh, I uh, I hope it is one for everybody, and particularly uh, our veterans. And we still have veterans coming home from the Middle East. And uh, we also uh, have a have a situation that uh, concerns me. Uh, as a matter of fact, that uh, we're going to have an influx of folks with strange. It'll be, I think, as bad if not worse than uh, than uh, Agent Orange, and that's the burn pits in the Middle East that they used against us. And they were burning carcinogenics that uh, we're, we're seeing more and more veterans from the Middle East, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, going to hospitals and to the VA for treatment. And uh, I hope and pray that uh, our government will act quickly, not drag the, their feet like they did in Agent Orange. What's your thought, Phil? Uh well, uh, I'm not exactly certain what what all the conditions are that are related to that. Uh, of course, I know they're studying it. I'm uh, I'm registered with the uh, with the burn pit registry. And I'd like to encourage uh, any veteran that served uh, in those areas listed um, in the burn pit registry to go ahead and identify yourself and and get an evaluation from the VA so that they can have the database they need. To uh, to develop these presumptive causes, like just like they had with uh, with Agent Orange, but maybe we'll get a little faster action on this. You know, um, one of the other things of, that we just learned was about the water they were serving people for years in the Middle East, and uh, you know, I had no idea about this, but our plastic bottle water, the bottles are graded, and of course, the United States. Thank God for the United States has the best plastic bottles in the world. But that's not to say that Iraq does. They have the worst, and they are have a form of carcinage that uh, if you drink enough bottles of those waters, you'll have a problem. And that's just now showing up, as a matter of fact, which, you know... I, I view it as sort of we grade ours, then we should have known what the grade of theirs were and not uh, served our troops with water that was in uh, bad bottles. And again, uh, do you know anything about that, Phil? This is the first time I'm hearing about, about water bottle uh, quality affecting things. There's, a, there's on another registry that folks should know of if they were uh, – Serve at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, in certain dates, uh, water there was contaminated, and there's a Camp Lejeune uh, registry. So uh, 
you can you can access these by uh, just going on to va.gov and they'll help you with those. Well, and we want to help our veterans any way we can. And uh, I uh, had mentioned, you know, before, well, I should have before we started the show, actually, and we're doing doing well with it, is the uh, J. Roy Ritchie Veterans Prayers. And uh, you can go online to our website, and if you're a veteran and or you know a veteran that needs prayer, we've set up a, a thing of veterans praying for veterans. And... Uh, you send in, you fill out the form, you send in the name of the person that uh, uh, you want a prayer for, and then we will see that that name is mentioned on the air, and folks, veterans or anyone across the country can pray for them. And uh, we, have, uh, we have some that I'd like to mention their names uh, if I brought the right sheet in. Uh, <laughs> And I didn't, of course. I left it on my desk. So I'll have to run out in a minute when we have a break and uh, and go get that list. But uh, we have, an, you know, several. We haven't. We just started this uh, last week, so it's just now beginning to uh, take off. And uh, I'll get that list, and uh, we'll we'll mention those folks. Uh, because it's very important. There's a. I remember there's one. Um, uh, Larry D. Kenyon, and uh, he's suffering from ill health, and uh, he was a vet in, uh, I believe, Desert Shield and Desert Storm. He's been, he was in the military 31 years, and uh, he's having health issues now. And uh, we got a couple more that we want to, we will mention, and uh, I will do my best to do better in the future of having my act together i was running a little bit late and i apologize for that but let me ask you phil are, are we getting the attention for desert chill and desert storm that we should uh on a national basis of vets well um <clears throat> you know that uh desert shield and desert storm kind of uh concluded in about a six-month period for me um and uh, so, you know, it was pretty short-lived, although there was half a million troops involved on our side. Um, and uh, so, you know, the, I think our veterans, all our veterans need uh, to be recognized for what they did. Those who served uh, overseas and those who served in peacetime uh, and, and in conflict um, because everybody signs up. You know, for the for the same uh, hazards. So, uh, but uh, so I, you know, I, I feel like Desert Storm is uh, uh, gets its due. Yeah, I do. Well, I was uh, one of the reasons I started the show was that um, we noticed that a lot of folks, civilians, not not military, but civilians. Um, and particularly young folks that hadn't served uh, had totally forgotten about the Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And uh, I don't want anybody that served anywhere for anything not to be remembered. And uh, so I, I hope that uh, and, and pray that you're correct. And, 
if if it's been continued and recognized, then then that's very very good. And um, you know, a lot of a lot of folks sacrifice to keep us free and sacrifice to. And it's not only the the person that's serving in the military; it's their family that sacrifices as well. And uh, we always try to recognize them and um, thank them for staying at home and taking care of the home front. And uh, you know, like you said, there were half a million. This is this is what's incredible about the United States, is that. And I started sort of started coining this term is that uh, you know we're always the first responder and we have the capability. Just think, it was only a few months within a few months that we had a half a million people in the Middle East on air bases, on grunts, uh, loading APCs, doing everything, and getting ready to go into uh, to battle. Well, I felt very fortunate because of the logistics that were involved, um, the planning that went into it. Um, you know, you can't just cook up these plans overnight. You have no. to uh, you have to have teams of people that work on plans and what if, and uh, you know they they have these plans just cataloged, and um, you know you can't come up with every scenario, but there are scenarios that that are cataloged and. They, they pull something off the shelf and say, you know, let's use uh, 27B and just modify it for this situation, and they make it work. And I'll tell you, uh, the planners and the logisticians uh, and the, the material developers that develop the things like the, the Abrams tank and the Apache and the multiple launch rocket systems and all the various other things that we had were just first rate. And they came up with... Uh the uh, what's it called? The sprayer is that right? The the huge APC. Striker. Striker. I mean, yeah, striker. Uh-huh. I, I don't know why. Well, striker was quite a bit after the after Desert Storm, but yeah, that, that's a great vehicle now too. They use that quite a bit. Okay, I've got the names of the people that we want to uh, keep in mind, and and if you're a veteran or a civilian, we certainly encourage you. Uh, to pray for these people uh larry kenyon and you know heal his body and soul and remove the damage of 31 years of gulf war illness and uh, the other one is a uh, uh, recovering from cancer and that's peter manfrey and um, he was uh in the marines and uh, is uh like i said recovering from cancer and uh he needs our prayers as well. So those two names, Peter Manfrey and Larry Kenyon. And uh, I, nobody else has ever done this, Phil. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I I was just thinking about it one day, and we've got 2.1 million veterans in the United States, and the impact of as many of those as we can touch to pray for their brothers and sisters I think will be incredible over time. And uh, we've got, as we bring more veterans in, uh, they will have their issues too. And we don't care what the issue is. All we want is the name of somebody that uh, we all need to pray for. And uh, 
I hope this. Uh, in fact, I will ask for everybody or the veterans to pray for us that this project that we've started will be a success and of help to a lot of veterans that need help. With that said, I am appalled at the fact that one-fourth of our street people are veterans. Yeah. Um, I'm sad about that. Uh, There are things, programs available uh, for veterans, um, for mental health, and for uh, for homelessness. Um, uh, uh, I would encourage anyone who is uh, either suffering from these things or thinks uh, that they know somebody who might be able to be helped to, to contact a service officer from one of the veteran service organizations, the DAV, the VFW, the American Legion, and several of them. Well, this is, uh, you know, in bits and pieces, and <clears throat> we realize most homeless would not necessarily be listening to the show, but they have friends and they have families that can pass this on and and this is all we 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 just want to help you know and let people know that there are facilities available there are options and that uh you know i was awakened last night with the wind blowing crazily in atlanta and uh and uh, pouring down rain and all i could do was lay there and think about the veterans and you know what they might need on the street and so uh sounds like you just left the left the fort nope i'm i'm still here i opened the door (laughs) okay anyway um so that that's where we are with that uh phil i i may have asked what you know here it is what 30 you've been gone 30 years or thereabouts yeah, 30 years ago I was over there. So what what is your most memorable thought about it? And and do you keep up with any of uh, uh, the friends that you made while you were there? Uh, I do have friends that, uh, that served with me over there. We keep in contact with each other. Um, I would say uh, my friends. You know, my the, the thing that stands out to me that people may have forgotten is when we went over there, it was called Desert Shield, and we didn't know if we were going to fight anybody. We certainly brought a lot of firepower with us, and um, but you know, once they told us, it, you know, you you finish this mission, you can go home. We got right to it, and because uh, we all just wanted to go home. Yeah, I I think from that standpoint, nobody's deployed that the first thing they think about is when do I go home? Yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't know was this, was this going to turn into a Vietnam kind of thing where, you know, we're there kind of like we are, you know, have been in Afghanistan and, and Iraq, you know, cycling through there for 12 to 15 month tours. Um you know, uh, or or were we just going to get it done? And they said, "Go ahead and get it done." So we did. 
you know the the ones that are you you mentioned even today were cycling through and hopefully we'll be cut back to no troops in Afghanistan shortly but you know how many of those and I don't know whether you know the answer to this or not but how many are regular troops and how many had to be called up from the reserves you know um, during the, the, the deployments for Desert Shield and Desert Storm um, there was a uh, there's a great deal of tension between, uh, and I can say that the, between the regular army and the, and the Army National Guard. Uh, here in Georgia, they had a brigade that was supposed to round out um, the, the uh, I think it was the 24th Infantry Division, and uh, the, uh, the regular army did, didn't want to trust the guard, and uh, you know it was. That they wound up not getting their time uh, there, which had I been in the guard at that time, I'd have been just fine with that. But um, you know, since then, the relationship between the, the guard and the, and the regular forces has really strengthened, and uh, they couldn't have done what they've been doing in Iraq and Afghanistan without guard and reserve units that have been really. Um, excellently trained and uh those guys show themselves to be every bit uh as competent soldiers as the regular forces well you know because of uh and i want to don't want to get overly political because i'll show my colors rather rapidly but because of the previous administration our military had been cut back so much that we had to look at the guard and look at the army reserve there i don't believe there was a choice and uh i'm extremely concerned that that that's a forthcoming possibility again and i but i hope not we uh we that's why we have a military and we all raised our hand and said the same oath but at the same token one was under one circumstance and another was under another circumstance and uh, you know it's nice to have that reserve force but it's also nice to know that you've got a well trained army ready to go at a moment's notice and uh, I well I have my own opinion so when um what did you think about the reception when you uh, came back home? <laughs> well, uh, I was a little surprised that uh, everybody was having such great, you know, celebrations for us. Um, you know, uh, I felt a little uh, humbled by the folks who were the, the Vietnam veterans that came up and, you know, told me, you know, thanks for doing such a good job. And, you know, I, I felt sort of uh, sorry that they hadn't received any kind of accolades when they returned. And, I, and uh, I made sure I told them that, you know, everything we did in there, that uh, 100 hours of ground war that basically put a stop to Saddam, um, that was all because of what we had learned from them. And the, the folks who, who trained us were the folks who had fought in Vietnam. And, and 
knew how to handle these hardships. So, uh, and uh, you know, I was glad to have passed along many lessons to the folks who, you know, fought our battles since. You know, in, in some ways, you could say, well, and and the Middle East, you could at least uh, you could at least see the people and. Uh, Whereas in Vietnam, with all the jungle cover and all of that, it was a, a bit different. But uh, not a bit, a lot different. But uh, at the same token, um, did the did the sand and dust bother you in any way in, in uh, the Middle East? Uh, yeah, mostly because it's just ugly to look at. It's not green. You go into a town and everything's made out of poured concrete and steel. Nothing nothing real pretty there and the um but uh the the sand it it did uh there were a few occasions i think it was christmas day of uh 1990 it was was a pretty nasty sandstorm uh blowing and uh bad visibility and just very unpleasant to be outside your tent um and then, of course, uh, when they lit the oil wells on fire, there was a uh, kind of a black-brown haze that hung up in the sky up to about 8,000 feet. Did, uh, did you all breathe any of that? I mean, was that something that you all were breathing? Yeah, you didn't have much choice. <laughs> It, it was there, and it, if you were taking a breath, you had to breathe it, huh? Yeah, that's what was available. Uh, what about equipment? Did you ever lack for equipment? Well, you know, I, I was uh, in an OV-1 Mohawk unit, and uh, that's an airplane that uh, first flew in 1959. It was used extensively in Vietnam, and a lot of the stuff we had was Vietnam era stuff to uh, to support it, and uh, I think we were the only ones that had um, that had the uh, uh, thirty eight caliber Smith and Wesson revolvers. Everybody else had nine millimeters. <laughs> we brought some into depot level for repair, and uh, they looked at us like we had brought them some museum pieces or something. They said we didn't know anybody in theater had these. Um, were then, were were they for shooting or throwing? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. You know, the, the pilots, we would go to the range to shoot, and they'd teach us the standing position and the kneeling and the, and the prone position to, for firing. And we used to joke, you know, why don't they... Uh, why don't they test us on the range and the position we're going to be in when we're firing it? And that's like the running away position, firing over your shoulder. <laughs> uh, there are interesting stories, aren't there? Yeah. Um, yeah. So our equipment was good. Uh, you know, I mean, it was it was serviceable. Uh, but uh, you know there were there were a lot more modernized stuff than the Mohawk units out there. But we did have uh, they did resource us very well. I was surprised. Uh, so very surprised we could get mail. We could get uh, well, tractor trailers would pull up with 
you know, cases of of bottled water, and we'd form a bucket brigade and unload the trucks, and we did that about twice twice a week. Um, didn't need to have canteens because everywhere you went, you had these liter and a half bottles of water with you. Wow, they were, they could begin off a little heavy, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and uh, and we were under you know some sort of order that you know you you uh, would all because they were concerned about uh, heat injuries. They they had this order that you, you know if you, anybody any soldier at any time had had a had to have a full bottle of water with them. Wow! So really, you had to have two bottles. One to show you know the the guy when he comes and checks you, and then one that you drink. <laughs> were were they still in that era? Uh, they were in mine, but I don't know about Desert Shield and Desert Storm. But were they still passing out salt tablets? Salt tablets? Yeah. No, we didn't have salt tablets. Oh, okay. Well, when I was in, um, you know, for uh, to keep you hydrated, they'd pass out salt tablets, and uh, then you'd drink more. And uh, there was some kind of meaning in that, but I'm not sure I ever figured out what it was. Other well, than, I think uh, it's like Gatorade. You know, if you sweat a lot, you're losing a lot of your body salt. Yeah, and, you know, I guess things do change after a period of time. but uh, And I think we got some World War II salt tablets, as a matter of fact. I know we had some uh, World War II Ks that, uh, and a lot of people probably don't even know what I'm talking about, a, a K, K rations. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, and our C rations. Uh, but anyway, things change, and, uh, you know... What was who was the crazy guy in your platoon? Oh, could have been me. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always one or two in a platoon, aren't there? Yeah, um, you know, it, there's all sorts of characters. Uh, my uh, my platoon sergeant, uh, he was from uh, from Puerto Rico. His English wasn't real good. He was he was a very good soldier, um, and I had another of my senior NCOs. He was he had started out as a Katusa, which is a Korean augmentee to the United States Army, and he he wound up in the U.S. Army. Uh, started Han. He was probably one of my finest soldiers. Isn't it? always amazing and the friendships that you make and uh, the you know the people you want to be in front of or behind and uh, it's uh, what a brotherhood would you uh, still agree with that of course of course you know I mean I I grew up on on Long Island and uh, you know was very sheltered from a lot of the stuff that was the routine experience of all the uh, many of the soldiers that I served with. But you know, it uh, has a homogenizing effect on you, where you you learn about other people's you know ways of life, and cultures. And I don't think I'd ever eaten a grit until I was <laughs> in the army. And then with uh, scrambled eggs, I believe, right? 
Yeah, well, I didn't really know understand grits when I first got them. I figured they were like cream of wheat. I put a little milk and sugar on them. Some of the uh, southern boys that asked me what in the world I was doing, they said, you know, you put uh, you put you know salt and pepper and butter on them. I said, okay. So <laughs> then uh, one day I, you know, I never used hot sauce on stuff, and they said, oh yeah, we use hot sauce on everything. Well, I tried some hot sauce on my grits, and then they told me that I was doing that wrong. So I don't know. <laughs> you, sometimes you just can't win, huh? You can't win. Uh, well, I, I think you did. And, uh, you know, flying what you were flying, you were in dangerous territory doing intelligence, correct? <laughs> yeah, well... Um you know, our primary function was that side-looking airborne radar. We were similar to, uh, well, if I can make an analogy, sort of like AWACS, except we didn't see what was in the air. We saw it was on, moving on the ground. And so uh, we were able to give advanced warning of, of where, where their troop concentrations were. A lot of our work was done really uh, in the days leading up to the hostilities, because we had flown missions looking deep into their uh, rear areas and finding out where their troop concentrations were, where their main supply routes were, uh, times of day that they moved, things like that. So, What was your altitude while you were doing that? Uh, they wanted us at about 8,000 feet above the ground. So, Wow. Uh, That's pretty low, yeah, actually. So, we flew about 10,000 feet was our standard mission. And uh, and then they told us, well, you know, we don't want you to go much more than 180 knots ground speed. Gee. Well, so then, you know, if, you're, if you had a tailwind, you'd have to slow it down. Plus, you know, um, 180 knots uh, at 10,000 feet is uh, closer to uh, 200. Uh, well, no, it's, it's close to about 150 indicated. So if you had a tailwind, well, you'd have to be slowing it down pretty close to a stall. So we hmm. kind of hung it out there, sort of in small arms range, going about as slow as we could go. Wasn't all that comfortable a position to be in? Yeah, I mean that—that that sounds like anything in the world could shoot at you. Yeah. Well, you know, the nice thing was on the on the very first day of the air war, uh, went out and blew up all their uh, radars, so they didn't have any kind of radar, uh, you know, acquisition to uh, to shoot air defense at us and the the other. You know, if it's not radar acquired, then it could be uh, infrared. But we had a little infrared jammer that we had on our uh, hanging out on our wing. It seemed pretty effective. And then, uh, I guess the the other way to guide your anti aircraft is optically. And uh, well, I guess they didn't see us too too well at ten thousand feet. Well, that's good. That that brought a lot of you back then. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back with Phil right after this. 
If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. to go back and get back with Phil talking about Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And um, Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. We're glad to have you listening in today. And start up. Um, Howard, I've heard mixed stories about how you all or how our troops were accepted very well in Kuwait, obviously, but uh, how about around the country? Uh, you mean in, in Saudi Arabia? Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of interaction with the with the indigenous people of Saudi Arabia when I was there, but um, generally, uh, I would say it was uh, we were well received. Well, I, that's one area I hope we never have to go back to. Well, I hope we don't have to go back to any area that we've ever fought in or, or a new area to fight in. Um, capable, yes, but desirous, no. Um, well, as you, I don't know how much you've kept up with the la- with with our progress or our changing around in the in the military, but how well do you think we are? Are we prepared for anything back up to the level that you would want? Uh, you know, you can always you can always be a little better prepared. I know, um, it, but you know, it's it's a balance. You can't you can't break the 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 budget. You know, you can't you can't bankrupt the country trying to be prepared for every eventuality. Uh, you lose your country that way. Well, I guess it's sort of the fact, too. It's like we were, we always thought it'd be the war in Europe, so our tanks and everything were green and green camouflage and all that. And oops, here comes Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and we were painted the wrong color. Well, that's true, but, you know, we did derive a great deal of benefit uh, from the fact that. All of our stuff had been designed to uh, counteract uh, and to, to uh, fight against the, the Soviet and Warsaw Pact uh, equipment, and uh, it just so happened that our adversary there in uh, in the desert um, decided he was going to go with uh, the, that Soviet brand and. Uh, <laughs> So everything we had was designed to defeat that, and it worked out pretty well for us, I think. We just had to spray them all uh, from 
green camouflage to uh, desert colored camouflage and uh, they did a lot of that at Fort Stewart here in Georgia yep we did it all over the place my unit came out of Fort Hood Texas and uh, you know we did a lot of painting vehicles all sorts of things before we left well Fort Hood Texas I must say I'm I'm very familiar with and uh, it is very familiar with brown colors out there (laughs) yeah Especially in the in the, the winter time, late anywhere, late summer to until spring, it gets kind of brown out there. And or when the sand's blowing. Yeah, and you don't realize, you know, quite how brown it is until you come back east, and yeah. uh, <laughs> you know you hit somewhere like around Tennessee as you're coming back east, and it just the, the level of green kind of hurts your eyes. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like, what are those tall things with leaves? Uh, we sure we sure didn't know what they were out in Lubbock, Texas, and which is not that far from Fort Hood, but uh, far enough. But anyway, um, so what still sticks in your mind after thirty years? Uh, would you trade the trade it again, or would you would you do it again? Well, you know, I only ever did it because that was my mission, and that's what I promised I would do if they asked. So, uh, if my country asked again, of course I would. I would do it. Um, I'd probably do it a little bit slower. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could have something to do with age too. I got an extra thirty years on me now. I didn't have back then, but uh, you know, yeah, of course. Uh, I'd be game to do uh, to do the mission, uh, and I'm ever so grateful that there are young people today that are uh, willing and dedicated, and probably every bit as uh, competent as we were, and uh, perhaps more. And uh, I'm very I'm very grateful for them. Well, this is uh, one thing that we talk about and uh, you know want to mention the fact that uh, this show like many of our shows uh, work we work very closely with the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame and Rick White and uh, he is a wonderful wonderful gentleman Colonel Rick White retired and uh, he's the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame and we also work with uh, Mike Mazell who is the uh, director president of the uh john's creek uh veterans association and uh they have the healing wall in john's creek at newtown park and uh we invite everyone to go by and see it it's a replica of the vietnam wall in washington dc with all of that being said we also encourage kids graduating from high school or college Whatever your situation might be, if you haven't thought about it, think about the military as a career. It is a bit different from when Phil, well, Phil was later than I was, but it's, it's different from many years ago. And it's a, it's actually has become a great occupation. And, uh, I'm very proud of my son that's a major in the Air Force and, uh, he's doing quite well and loves it and, 
He and his wife have gotten to travel around the world a couple of times now, and they love it. And the friends that they've made, uh, they both graduated from Texas A&M and uh, have a lot of friends from A&M, but they also have a lot of friends that they've made around the around the world at different uh, Air Force bases. And, you know, it's, it's – uh, it's just a great occupation, not like it was many years ago. It, was, it had its drawbacks, no question about it. But the government has wised up and turned being in the military into that's your business, that's your occupation, that's your career. And, uh, and it's, it's turning out super. So parents that are listening or grandparents that are listening – and you have a son or a daughter that hadn't quite figured out what they want to do, we certainly encourage everybody to take a look at the military. The military is so broad. I mean, you know, I want to be a scuba diver. Okay, well, join the Navy. I want to be a electronics expert in uh, radios or whatever, okay, join the Marines or the Army. Whatever you want to be, whatever career you want to. And once you come out of the military, you've got a resume that will beat any resume. So think about it. Would you agree to that, Phil? I would. But I would say that uh, I've seen scuba divers in the Air Force. So, you know, <laughs> if you want to be a scuba diver, you don't have to just join the Navy there. I mean... There's a, there's a whole world of stuff out there. Oh, it's just, you know, I, I'm, you never hear about it, really. Not like we used to, anyway. But um, the government wised up and said, you know, let's make our military a, a profession. And it is. And it's, it's great. And uh, I just, I applaud every young person that makes the decision to go into some branch of it. And it doesn't matter which branch you're uh, you're making the right decision, and you will, when you come out in 20 years or 30 years, you'll have a smile from ear to ear, and the friends that you've made will be the best friends of your life, and uh, I, we obviously support it and, and realize what a, a great opportunity it is, and you know, I don't know how other countries work at all. If, if they're still under a mandatory service or you don't have a choice or whatever. But my opinion is that we've always gotten good, but now we're getting the best of the best. When you volunteer and you raise your hand, you know what you're going into or know what what is your potential, but you're doing it because you love your country. And... Nobody's putting a gun to your head that you have to sign up or anything else. And yet, we have the greatest of the great graduates. We have the greatest of the great athletes going in in many cases. And um, we just applaud anybody that raises their right hand and takes the oath. And uh, we've all taken it. But... Anyway, so you might say I'm a supporter of the military and certainly a supporter of the veterans. And, again, I'll throw out that uh, whoever has the time, please go to our webpage, 
look around. You can become a patron. You can uh, sign up for uh, prayers for veterans, and we would just really appreciate it. We've got we've got many opportunities, and uh, we're getting new sponsors, and we're getting new shows on all the time. And uh, I we're not as we're not as versatile as the military, but we basically have a show for all occasions, give or take. And uh, we appreciate Phil, you doing this for for us, and uh, we're going to keep Desert Storm, Desert Shield, and Desert Storm. I don't want to say in the forefront, but we're not going to let the veterans of either one be forgotten. You know, it had been a while since our military was called up to respond, and as always. Our response was the best of the best. Did well, you? Pardon me. I, you know, um, I guess when I uh, when I first commanded the army, I was commissioned in 1982. In 1983, we had that operation in Grenada, and that was over pretty quick. And I was glad for that. We had. Uh, operation going into to Panama operation just cause and that and that went pretty quick I was very very pleased and uh, and then we did the, the desert shield desert storm thing and uh, my hope was you know whatever we were called up to do it would continue to be short term and not long uh, bogged down things like uh, Vietnam that were actually what we uh, have experienced in uh, in the Middle East and uh, Southwest Asia and the, in the um, oh, recent decades. So uh, I'm just uh, really hoping that uh, you know we can have our folks here and and only use them for the missions uh, that that w- that can be accomplished uh, quickly, but. You know, my hat's off to these guys that can go out and, and uh, do two and three tours and, and more over in the sandbox. Um, great guys. Great, great guys and gals. Yes, sir. And uh, great families that support them. Yeah, you know, let me ask a psychological question. Um my dad was in World War II in the Pacific, and, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about it, but, uh, you know, he and mother would write back and forth, but it would take, you know, weeks for her to get, my mother to get a letter at home and my dad to get a letter on board ship. And what effect do you feel like our electronics have had? Is Has it been a total plus that uh, even if you couldn't skype or zoom or whatever at least you could talk on a fairly frequent basis but then adding the uh, skype to it or the zoom to it and being able to see your family what effect do you think that's had on our troops well i think it strengthens the connection that you have with the folks back home but you know uh, i think you have more more time to focus on the mission when when the communication is not quite so instant. Hmm. Okay. 
So you you think the uh, computer and and its uh, and or the cell phone has been hadn't been as good as as I would have thought it was. No, I mean th- I think there's positive and negative, you know, sides to it. But uh, and and by and large, it's it's very positive. Um, but you know, there, there's all it also changes things in a way that you know you might not have thought. Um, I'm sure. And then, of course, you know, all that depends on some sort of Wi-Fi or Internet connectivity. And, you know, in a combat zone, that's liable to go down at any time. So it's not something you can really rely on. Yeah. Well, and uh, when you're expecting a call and you don't get it, then I guess that can put you into a sheer panic, too. Well, it could be quite distracting, I think. Yeah. Well, I guess we, uh, I guess the bottom line to that is that we keep changing and technology keeps changing. And, you know, I wish we could declare peace and be over with it, you know, around the world. But again, I don't think that's ever going to happen either. But it would be nice if it did. Yeah, eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. Yes, sir. And uh, having a strong military is, a, in my opinion, a very good deterrent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for peace anytime. Oh, yeah. No, no question about that. Uh, and, you know, this is where I get on my soapbox once in a while that um, some of the folks that make our decisions for us, uh, they, they may want peace in their mind, but the reality of it is they've, they've never been on a force march with a full rucksack or anything else you know and they don't know what the soldier goes through or the airman or the marine or anybody else and uh, I think that's uh, they would understand the price of freedom a whole lot better if they had we uh, yeah we used to have a saying nothing's impossible for the man who doesn't have to do it (laughs) that's that's very true. I may have to use that. Uh, that's that's very true, and the and the old uh, in American Indian saying of you you don't know until you've walked a mile in my moccasins. Yeah. So it's 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 uh, it's always interesting, and uh, there's always another side to that coin. Uh, but right now, I want to thank you, Phil, for being on again talking about desert storm and desert shield and uh if anyone has any questions and they'd like to write in questions about desert shield and desert storm or about being in the military uh just write gm at america's web radio.com email gm at america's web radio.com and please go to our website and check out prayers for veterans 
Uh, it's very important to me, and it's very important to a lot of veterans that have struggled through a lot of things. Um, do you know Tommy Clack, by chance? I do not. Okay. Uh, Tommy's a quadriplegic uh, from uh, uh, Iraq, and... Uh, you know, it's just his story is incredible, and there's so many other Georgians, Georgians that have incredible stories, and then you multiply that times fifty, and it's unendless across the country. So we ask you to uh, check us out, and uh, and I'll check out what we're doing. And if you can afford it, we'd love for you to become a patron of America's Web Radio. It doesn't matter how much. Just if you became a patron, we'll be sending you uh, newsletters and coming events. And we've got a uh, very interesting guest going to be coming on that supports Warriors to Citizens. And that's that's a great organization that helps. Uh, Well, let me ask you, Phil, right quick. We only got about a minute, but... Uh, coming back after being in a war, how was the transition? Uh, you know, there were cer- certain things, certain aspects of life that were a little bit uh, uh, challenging. Uh, you know, mentality. Um, I'm really, I get very concerned about the guys that come back and and they can't adjust, and uh, there's far too many of them uh, just wind up taking their lot, their own lives, and then that's, uh, that should never happen. All right. Well, we'll we'll get into that more uh, next week if you don't mind. And okay. uh, we will. We again appreciate Phil being on, and uh, stay tuned. We got more going on here at America's Web Radio. Thanks for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.